Would you do this with me? Would you take your Bibles and would you go to John chapter 8? It's also on your handout there. We're not going to read through a substantial portion of John 8. So it is the verse that we'll be dialing in is on your handout. Um, it's on, you can look on your device if you would like to follow along with John 8. Just to kind of give you a heads up of what we're going to do today. There are a number of passages on our handout today. Well, the temptation of our hearts sometimes is just to dive into a statement and just pull it out and be like, that's a great statement. And to use that as the Holy Spirit of God encourages us to use that for motivation. Well, sometimes we scratch the surface when it comes to the meaning of that text because we don't understand of what it took to get to that statement. So there's several, there's several verses we're going to look at today and more of what's known as like a biblical theology. In other words, we're setting this chapter 8, verse 12. So I hope you can hang with me today. If you turn your handbook, your, your handbook, your hand out over, you can see a lot of these passages are here. So once I reference them, feel free to turn them over. I'll try to set some of the context here. Uh, I most likely will just read some of them with brief context. Uh, so if you're visiting with us today, we're continuing our study. As you can see on the screen, our study is this, looking to Jesus. We started this off about two and a half months ago. We started off in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where as you look through Hebrews 11, as people's faith is tested, as followers of Christ and worshipers of God, our faith is tested, what are we to do? We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't think a single one of us here today would deny the fact that our faith is is daily tested. Living in the world we live in, all you have to do is turn on the TV, the news, for two minutes. All you have to do is, is page of any given newspaper and your heart just goes, really? And your faith is tested just a bit deeper. Questions come. So what do we do, church? Well, we do exactly what Paul through the Spirit tells us to do. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus and don't ever step, stop looking to Jesus. So we've been taking different snapshots of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now here, here we find ourselves today in John chapter 8, verse 12, and we're looking at this awesome key idea. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the light of the world. All right, so what comes to your mind when you think of light? All right, obviously we're in the text of Scripture, so we're going to think biblically. But generally speaking, if you were to talk of light, what would you think of? Well, I'd say probably one of the first things to come to our minds is the, the God-created luminaries in the sky. All right. How many of you this week got to see the beauty of the sun? I know You've probably said this dozens of times as mom and dad, and your mom and dad probably said this dozens of times to you. Don't look directly at the sun. How many of you were tempted to look at with that cool hair? Beautiful, pink. At certain times of the day when that hair. That's the sun. Same thing at night. So when we think of lights, we're thinking of luminaries. Uh, God's created luminaries. Um, that beautiful pink, but also that that terrifying sun. The sun is beautiful and terrifying at the same time. In fact, this very week, I like to read articles. 
this very week, ABC News writing, I mean, they wrote on this, and here's the title of the article, if I could find it here. New high-resolution images of the sun show how terrifying its structure looks up close. And they actually posted this picture, but it was in moving time. And you watch the sun just kind of enveloping. I mean, so when we think of the sun, we're thinking, well, that's just beautiful. At the same time, we're thinking, that's absolutely terrifying. When you think of this structure, it's beautiful and it's terrifying at the same time. What am I talking about? This sun... 100 times bigger in diameter than the earth, weighing, though, 300,000 times more than the earth. This produces a continual nuclear reaction as hydrogen turns into helium and causes what's known as a fusion. Okay, that just completely confused me when I read it this week, so I'm not a science guy, but I just was like, wow, that sounds cool. This reaction that's Day since day four of creation. This has happened. A human being that has stepped outside of a structure in their life has been touched by the sun, by this. Beautiful and terrifying at the same time. We're talking about 15 million degrees at the core. That's a lot of zeros after a 15. On the surface of the sun, as, this, as these fusions and many explosions, one to two million degree temperatures. And when you think of that, you think the 115 degrees of Reading isn't so bad. <laughs> you also think this, I'm thankful to God that we're 93 million miles away from the sun. Have you ever thought about the fact, what if we were 90 2 million miles from the sun. What if we were 93, put a lot of zeros behind that, and a 1 behind it? 15 degrees in Redding, California, very quickly would turn to 145 degrees. And you and I would not be here. We would be scorched. So this beautiful and terrifying sun that God created was placed exactly where he wanted it, at the center of our solar system. And our earth is placed exactly where it needs to be to rotate around this sun. So when we think of lights, a lot of times we think of this beautiful and terrifying luminary which is going to make its way into our text today, one of these passages we read. Some of you, though, you know, this is old hat, the sun stuff. What about those natural luminaries? What about these man-made luminaries? These really cool LED lights. I mean, we used to, I don't know how many, as a youth pastor, how many king trips I would take with these. Today, that one of these kids, after like the 3,000th time that my that flashlight was directly shown to my right eyeball. I looked at this kid and I said, listen, next time you shine your light in my eye, I'm going to throw that flashlight as far as I can. Lights can be beautiful and terrifying at the same time. I think of this. Uh, I remember as a young kid watching the beams on these, these marketing streets, these sky beams just circulating, trying to direct attention to this place. And each time, you're probably going to see this in Luxor. 
this thing shooting. I remember standing. I'd go play soccer and travel through, and I'd go walk around there a little bit, and I walked around the outside, and they have these shooting lights up and down Luxar, and I just look down at them, and it shoots up, and then you look at this beam shooting out of the sky. 42 billion candela tunnel of light coming out of a structure. And we think, boy, that's cool. I love the pictures, though, when you see lightning flash. Big as we think we are to create that, it pales in a comparison of one little lightning strike that God's like, oh, you think that's big stuff? How about this? Wham! Well, anyways. This, have you heard of this? I know we got some University of Nebraska fans here. Go hunt Huskers. Um, in the laboratory in University of Nebraska, they came up with this three years ago. Any of you heard of this? It's called the Diocles Laser. This lab, scientists thought they're really big stuff, and they are. They really did cool stuff developing this. They developed a laser that they claim is a billion times brighter than the surface of the sun. Through all of these contortions of, of I, don't, I don't even want to try to explain what I read this week. But they took all this light and compounded it and continued to grow it till they say it was a billion times brighter than the surface of the sun. If you were to look at the surface of the sun, think a billion times brighter. So you're going to fry your eyeballs like that. I mean, if you think of this, historically, whether it's natural light, man-made light, God created light, or man created light, what you can't exist without light. I mean, it's not that hard to consider this. But it's no wonder that in the passage today, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus stands before this Jewish audience and he says to them, hey, 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 I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so what is this text? We probably memorized this when we were little critters. I am the light of the world. So fix our eyes on Jesus, the light of the world. Well, what's going into this text? Where is John 8? And what's happening in John 8? Well, this is the second of seven statements. I think Chaplain Jim was working through this with the mission team. Uh, and actually, we're over the next month, we're going to look at several of these statements for the book of John. The I am statements. When you take snapshots of Jesus, then you want to think about what he says about himself. And the second of the seven statements in the book of John is this. I am the light of the world. And who is he saying this to? Well, I'll tell you, he was saying this to a most exclusively or predominantly exclusively Jewish uh, audience. He was saying this most likely, as you go through the text, in Jerusalem. And he was saying this in one of the three major feasts that they have there where people would travel from around that area. And one of those feasts, and I'm just going to say it because we're going to talk about it in about ten minutes. One of those feasts was called the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And Jesus standing up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, all this stuff happening, he turns around to these people, all these people, and he makes an announcement and he says, I am the light of the world. Okay, so if you were one of these Jewish followers of Yahweh, and you were listening to this proclaimed Messiah saying this, what might come to your mind? Well, let's just take about 
10 minutes and, and think through what they would think through in the Scriptures. Any good Jewish follower of Jesus Christ might think about the third verse in the Torah, not designated quite like we have it here, that they would go in their mind automatically probably to a passage like this. When you think of light, this is a big deal. Why? Because this is the first recorded statement of Elohim. Say, God Almighty proclaims this, let there be light. I love this. And there was light. <laughs> there it was. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called this morning the what day? The first day. Okay, if you go to Genesis, though, you're going to find that the sun was not created, though, until what day? The fourth day. So this is, a, this is a beautiful expression of the brightness of our great God. And Jews would process this in their mind. They knew the sun was not recorded until the fourth day. God created light. It was from himself. He provided the light from the world. Okay, that's at the beginning. Like we're talking about the third verse of of your Bible, you go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, you're going to find that this exact same thing happens at the end. I'm going to leave that for your homework this week. Read Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, and you're going to see for all eternity, we don't need these luminary type things. We have the presence of God who provides beautiful light. He is the light source. So when we talk about that luminary of the sun, it is shown every single day of human existence to some extent, whether it's been darkened or not, since day four. So as a, as a, as a Je Jewish person thinking about this, and Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Some of them might go back to the Torah and think, oh yeah, God said this. Well, what this does is it sets a pattern for what God does through all of human history. And you see these themes in the, in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, that come up all the way through the Scriptures. I believe that's exactly what, Jesus, what God is doing in Genesis chapter 1. He's setting a pattern for bringing... Prove it. Well, okay, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is in the New Testament of your Scriptures. It's kind of jumping over there. Paul makes this statement right away, this connection right away. Not only is there a physical bringing of light into darkness, but also this spiritual metaphoric sense of light coming into darkness. And what is said here, referring back to the creation of all time, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's the point? This is the pattern of what God Almighty is doing and has done throughout all of human history, shining light into darkness. So for worshipers and say, I am the light of the world, it's more than just a, a, a quick statement thinking, yeah, look at me real quick. This is a massive deal, and let's continue on because you travel from Genesis into another book in the Torah called Exodus. Okay, we're talking like 3,000 years after the creation of the world. 
We're talking after, after uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're talking about after God's people went as 72 of them into Egypt through Joseph, remember the story, and they came out 400 years later. Right? Egypt was the greenhouse for God's people to grow. They come out. Two million people after God did miracles of the plagues in Egypt. God brought them out and then they find themselves worshiping God Almighty in the wilderness. Do you remember this? Okay, if you look at Exodus chapter 13 verse 21, this says a lot about how Jewish people would comprehend what Jesus is saying here. I am the light of the world. Here's what he says. And I'll spare going through the entire passage today, but 1321. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel and absolutely amazing miracle from God Almighty to create this light source that guided his people. This was such an impactful event miracle for the Jewish people, that there was a festival that was born out of this. What do you think this festival was? You said it. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Booths. It's how God Almighty tabernacled with His people in the wilderness. How He led His people in the wilderness. He was Almighty God. When Jewish people would have heard from I am the light of the world. He is saying this at the Feast of the Tabernacles when they are celebrating how God had guided His people through the wilderness. It meant something more than just a passage in John. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Let's continue to work through this a little bit. As any good Hebrew follower, even through the ups and downs of Hebrew history, the sin, the deception, fleeing from God or disobeying God, God's graciousness, bringing him back to himself. We come to a man named David. He inspires a hymn, the Holy Spirit inspired him through David. This was an anthem of praise to Almighty God, and we read it in something like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This song. When it comes to light source, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Any good Hebrew worshiper, when he hears about light, would think, well, yeah, the Lord is my light. Now, Jesus standing in front of them seven, uh, over 700 years later, 1,000 years later, saying, I am the light of the world. I would imagine some of those people sitting there would think Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light. We continue on 300 years later, 250 years later, and we come onto the scene, these prophets prophesying. So what's the scripture doing? It's constantly building up anticipation for the Messiah. From the beginning of your Bible all the way through the Old Testament, it's building up anticipation for the Messiah. That's exactly what's happening with this concept, this biblical theology of light. Building up anticipation for the Messiah. Isaiah doesn't disappoint. Remember that passage we quote often around Christmas time? Isaiah 9 6. Here's how it reads 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you remember that? Guess what that falls right behind? This verse. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to summarize it by reading it off of there. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. You're like, okay, great. Thanks for bringing up those, those cities, those areas, those regions. There's actually very, some very strong significance here in this entire region. Um, I'm not going to get into those today. That's your homework again this week. See the significance of these regions. The way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee. These are places around the Galilee region. A Galilee of the nations. And here's what's said by Isaiah in prophecy. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is Isaiah. 700 years later, as Matthew is recording the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, here's what's said in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And leaving Nazareth, he went up and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is direct into his earthly ministry here. A direct connection to the Old Testament anticipation. All right, that light that you were looking for, Jesus is that light. Right away as we enter into the New Testament, we find this connection. The great light in the biblical theology of the Old Testament coming to life in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you remember Luke chapter 2, okay, the Christmas story. Remember Luke chapter 2, Christmas story? What happens after the story of the shepherds and, and the angels and all of that? You remember 40 days after that, Mary and Joseph enter into the temple holding baby Jesus? Do you remember this? And they're confronted with somebody. This old worshiper of God who meets them. His name is Simeon. Listen to the prophecy of Simeon right away in the New Testament. Lord, now you are letting your servant, this is prayer, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of the people Israel. So what's happening? Anticipation is building for this light from God. And as we enter into the scene of the Gospels, we find this light. In fact, this very same book, John. How does John, in the beginning of his writings, identify Jesus Christ? Well, here it is. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I mean, you can continue on reading through this passage as another aspect of homework for you. You got a lot of homework this week. Now we find ourselves in the middle of the Bible, uh, sorry, the middle of the New Testament, from the Gospels into John's writing, and we find these words. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk of light. So, what made this statement at this time to these people so significant? Or what about this festival? This festival of booths. I introduced it. We've talked of it on a couple occasions the last half hour. This festival, this feast, of smoke and the pillar of fire by night. That's what's happening here. They are commemorating what God Almighty did in the wilderness prior to, I mean, even to the point of the water coming out of the rocks, which if you want another blessing, go prior to this and see what Jesus Christ himself says about living waters. He identifies with that metaphor. Now on the last day of this festival, I think many commentaries think this is on the very last day based on the text earlier. The very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles happening in Jerusalem, the climax of this festival, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, this is so cool. Because traditionally, in different commentators, different uh, people that think through the tradition here and read through this stuff, a lot of them will say something like this happened on the last day of the feast where four huge lamps were lit in the temple court followed by a night of exuberant celebration. We're talking about a, a Yahweh party. <laughs> That's what's happening on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. They're lighting these four massive lamps in the temple and all of them around are celebrating. Many of them say, they're holding candles. Okay, this is one of the original candlelight services. They're all holding candles, and they are celebrating all through the night. I love what one of my favorite commentators, theologians, D.A. Carson, he says this. Men of piety and good works dance through the night, holding burning torches in their hands and singing songs and praises. The Levitical orchestras cut loose with the light from the temple area shedding its glow all over Jerusalem. People listening, hey, hey, I am the light of the world. When we think about what Jesus is saying here, it's more than just a cool passage we memorized as a little kid in a WANA or a children's program. He's not playing games, he's serious. I want us to close out our time just looking at very practically what this statement would look like, what the statement look like, looks like as we analyze this. Some really practical noticings here. First, let's notice this. As light of the world, Jesus exposes and transforms darkness. Very practical. Think about this. As Jesus is claiming, I am the light of the world, he is making a claim that he is exposing and actually transforming say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will darkness. Let's think about that for a minute. As John, we're talking about the, apost- uh, the, the gospel John, the epistles of John, and even revelations. There's themes that he talks of regularly. One of them is very clearly this light theme. And very clearly, one of these things he focuses on is this. In God is no darkness at all. 
In Christ is not a single bit of darkness. So first of all, when Jesus is making this claim, in Jesus there is no darkness at all. But more than that, beyond that, Jesus is in the business of exposing darkness and transforming darkness into light. That's exactly why we're told Jesus came. To expose darkness and to transform darkness into light. What is this darkness? We're just kind of, you know, pretending that we all understand what darkness is, presupposing that we all understand this. What is darkness? Well, clearly, darkness is a metaphor for sin and rebellion. It is a lifestyle that has been blinded by sin. It refers to the realm or the sphere where sin exists, blinds, and, I'm going to say this, devastates destroys. That is what darkness is. The picture of this passage, if you could picture with me this metaphor, is of someone blinded by sin to the point of tripping, falling, hurting themselves, all the way to the inevitable destruction. I'll never forget, I referenced last week, uh, we got to go to those subway caves with Gormans. We had fun with that. We turned off our light for a second and whatever they're called, these rocks. Well, I remember our youth group did this tour in the Cave of the Winds out in Colorado, in Colorado Springs area. Anybody ever been there? A really neat place. You can actually do a tour up top, or you can go down and do a special tour. It's called Special Tour, where you were crawling through these dark holes. You all had your flashlights. You'd crawl through these dark holes, and you could barely fit. And I have a little element of claustrophobic uh, about me. And you can imagine you're crawling through these, like wiggling through these little holes. And, and through this process, all of a sudden the, the guide would say, okay, everybody turn your lights off. You turn off your light for five seconds, ten seconds, twenty seconds. You can't see anything. It's the best time to terrorize your friend. <laughs> but you start getting angry. Here till they ran out. One of the miners lost all his gas and he died in this spot. Oh, wonderful! You're, you're thinking about this. What they would do in these gas lamps, they would, they would bump up against something and all of a sudden their light would go off. They couldn't light this thing. They were in trouble. They would seriously bounce into every one of these little rock formations until the cave would actually beat them up. And then they would starve and die in these caves. That left an indelible impression on my mind when it comes to not going into caves without like five lights. But also when talking about the impact of darkness, not being able to see what's in front of you. Darkness is tripping and falling into things that will destroy you. And so when Jesus exposes darkness, he's doing more than expose darkness. He is transforming darkness into light so that we can now see clearly the way. Uh, one of my least favorite places to go in high school was in the crawl space in our home. I, I don't know as many houses. And uh, in the side part of your basement, you had a little like two or three foot crawl spray, space. 
And that's where you would go. You'd crawl way under there to shut off the water, to fix things under the house, the insulation and stuff. And guess who is the young dude, the oldest in the family for the boys? Guess who had the wonderful privilege of crawling all the way through the spider-infested crawl space? Yes! I mean, I would think about it and I would start itching from all these spiders, just like you're probably doing right now. But what would I do? I would not go in there if I didn't have like two or three of these flashlights because I wanted to see every single one of these spiders. And I would turn the light on and I would just watch. They'd go away. I think about that in terms of what Jesus Christ has done. He has shown the light into darkness to expose those things that will harm us. And at the same time, he is transforming to lead in the right way. The point of the passage is Jesus is the light that exposes sin and destruction. Jesus exposes sin. But not only does he expose sin, please catch this, not only does Jesus expose sin, he transforms the sinner. That's the beauty of the scriptures. He doesn't just expose sin in front of us. He changes We can truly see clearly what sin is and what God's glory is. So much of this can be said about what the world does when it looks at light. It hates the light, actually, John says. But the believer, the one who, whom has the light of life, sees clearly God's plan through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. All right, one more quick point. As light of the world, Jesus exposes and transforms darkness. But also this, Jesus provides clarity and purpose for life. And I think you find this directly at the end of this statement. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but what? Will have the light of life. Simple point. Those who follow Christ, those who have embraced Jesus will have an entire perspective change on life. You thought about that? You see things differently because of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in our hearts. Why? Because God has interacted with our hearts. He's changed our hearts. We have now interacted with the giver of life. He has given us life from the inside out. In front of us. Uh, John uses this term, the light of life. It's, it's somewhat ambiguous. There's a lot of different ways you could go with these four words. You go to the Greek and you see how they're set up, these genitives and different things. You see how it's set up, and it, and it really could go several different ways. This is the light himself. You understand that? Jesus is the light. Okay, what passage comes to your mind right away? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This light and life connected in John 1, Jesus is saying, that's me. So in one sense, Jesus is the light of life himself. But in another sense, here it is. Jesus provides clarity for our lives. Why? Because in Christ, we have been infused into the one who's changed our hearts. This light of life. Jesus helps, to seek, helps us to seek around us. Jesus provides purpose for our existence. Quick time out. How appropriate is that for here and now? We're talking about an overwhelming amount of people off the charts right now. 
I want to tell you, probably several of us in this room have had to wrestle with that over the last six months. Why? Because we're people. We still have this flesh. Wrestling through these thoughts of, why am I here now? Why am I existing? I'm going to tell you, the only way to truly process that accurately is by holding on to Jesus with all you have. Finding life in Jesus Christ and not letting go. He says the light of life, not just in a general reference to eternal life in the future. Because sometimes we think, oh, he's the light of life. He'll get us to eternal life. But it's so much more than that. This light of life is the ability to function with purpose and effectiveness in this life right now. You have purpose for the fact that you woke up this morning. You live for the light of life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's no mistake that God has you here in this crazy 2020. He's got you here for a reason. He has all of us here in this room right now for a reason. He has all of us interacting with this text today. Why? So that we can take this light and shine it brightly to the world around us today. As the light of the world, Jesus exposes and transforms darkness. Jesus provides clarity and purpose for life. Brothers, sisters, friends, we will never see the way to eternal life apart from Jesus. Please understand that. There are some maybe here today that are trying to figure all this out. Connect the dots. It's no mistake that you're here today. God wanted you here today. I'm going to tell you, the only way to connect the dots of your purpose in life is through Jesus. He brings purpose to your existence. He exposes darkness and brings clarity to life. We will never find purpose for our existence apart from Jesus, and we will never be able to process the world around us accurately apart from Jesus. So much more that we could say on this. But I want to close out with a so what. So what? How is this passage, John 8, 12, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, follow me. How is this going to transform the way you live today and this week? Well, we can correspond with this question. Have you responded to the light of the world? Boy, that was on cue. (laughs) My goodness, that couldn't have been better. Thank you for timing that out. Uh, But a great question. Have you responded to the light of the world? Okay, a key phrase in this whole passage, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You thought about that? Hey, have you followed Jesus Christ? I mean, almost, uh, I mean, synonymous to the term of following is the term believing through John's. Uh, passages. Following and believing go hand in hand. To follow means true belief put into action. And that is exactly what true faith is in the Scriptures. It is not simply whoever acknowledges that I exist. That's not what Jesus is trying to do. Whoever acknowledges that I died. Oh yeah, and, and you rose. That's not the point of the Scriptures. Whoever follows me is the point of the Scriptures. True faith is faith that acts, faith that does something with this, with this faith. And that's exactly what Jesus says. He stands there and he says, I am the light of the world, but he doesn't stop with that. What does he compel all of them to do? 
follow me. There may be some here today that have been trying to figure this out, and I want to just say this today in as simple way as I can make it. Would you today follow Jesus? Would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That is my prayer. In just a minute, we're going to close in prayer. I want to invite you, if you still have questions on this, don't delay. Towards the end of the service, I'm going to invite our chaplains to come to the front. I'm going to have you come and talk with them, to, to pray with them. Let them show, me, show you more clearly what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you respond to Jesus, respond to the light today? Then, so what? Second question, I want to close out with this, because this is dynamic. Okay, God has blessed us with this light, not to just look at it and admire it. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 4 shares with this this concept of reflecting. Here's the second question. Are you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are you dynamically reflecting the light of the world to everyone you come into contact with? Just a minute ago, I shared that Diocles laser in the University of Nebraska. Do you remember that? How did they do that? In simple terms that my ignorant brain can understand, they took a single light and created other smaller lights around it, and they kept building and building and building on that single light. That is exactly what we do as the followers of Jesus Christ. The light is Jesus Christ, and as body of Christ, we reflect the Savior to everyone we come into contact with till that light is so bright. No one. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Whoa! He's claimed he's the light of the world. Now he's saying you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do people let a lamp or light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the question is this. This week, we're going to interact with hundreds possibly of people in Shasta County. Will you shine the light of Jesus Christ with everyone you come into contact with? We're not playing games. Will you truly shine Jesus at home, at work, at school, to your friends, to your teammates, to your coworkers, to your neighbors? As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the light. That is our call. And God, that is our response today. The prayer of our hearts is that you would give us grace to reflect the light of the world. There's so much more that we could say about this passage because it's so amazing. Jesus' claim here in Jerusalem at the end of this festival. I pray that we would take this to heart. Oh God, I pray that if there was there is one right now in this congregation that is struggling with their eternal destiny, their their fact of that they don't know if they have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that that would be settled today. Oh God, I pray that they would place their faith and trust in you. heads bowed, your eyes closed, really however you want to pray as we close out this service. I want to speak to you specifically 
those who do not know Jesus Christ. I'll say this. God in his grace and mercy has you here today to hear the gospel. God in his grace and mercy sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary. He was our substitute. He was your substitute and mine. Why? Because clearly the scripture says we are born into this world as sinners. Friends, we were born in darkness. We needed the light. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins, to give us new life. Scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? I will be at the front at the end of this service. Please don't hesitate to come talk to me. There'll be a couple other chaplains at the front, uh, prayer warriors that are willing to lead you to Jesus. Would you, would you deal with this today? You may need to go home. and I, I mean, I would suggest dealing with this as soon as you can. But I'm going to tell you, some of you may need to go home, get on your knees, and walk through the scriptures. Read John 3. And come to the understanding that you need Jesus. But don't delay. Last prayer of the day, would you pray with me? Those of you who have come to Jesus Christ in faith, would you pray with me that we this week would shine brightly? We would reflect brightly the light of life, Jesus Christ. One of the hardest places to shine the light of Jesus is when we get in our cars and go to our homes. Would you shine Christ in your home this week? In your schools, at your workplace, on your sports teams? Would you shine Christ? God, we want to thank you for the time we had this morning interacting with your word. Thank you that we, through Christ, can see the light. We can see clearly. And those of us who have come to you in faith have truly seen the light of Jesus Christ. So as we close out today, put a smile on our face and comfort in our hearts that we have the light of life. He is guiding us and guarding us. Let us enjoy that thought today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.